Good morning. Okay, we're in Luke. Luke chapter, I think it's 23. Yeah, 23. 39 through 43. We only have five verses this morning, but you'd be surprised how easy it is to drag five verses out. Before we get into these verses, I'd like to say happy Mother's Day to the mothers here. This morning, Mother's Day, special day. And if you're here this morning and you have a mother, I hope you're planning on making a special day for her. Mothers, they're very hard workers, you know. And uh, I probably didn't really understand that until I got married and we had children and I could see firsthand how hard mothers work. My memories of my mother when I, when I was young were probably different than your memories, Maybe not, but I, didn't, I can't remember times of affection with my mother. Not that she wasn't affectionate, I just can't remember it. My mother was a little different, and I give thanks to the Lord for it. And um, the story I like to tell is when I really realized um, how, what a good job she'd done is when I was in boot camp. And in boot camp, you learn how to fold clothes, in case you didn't know. You learn how to iron clothes with a little soapbox to get all the wrinkles out of them and fold them within a certain set dimensions, and then they have to be stacked up in their proper place in your locker. You'd be surprised how hard that is for some guys to get a handle on. So mine were all nice and neat, no problem, but they had guys, they'd have inspections, and they'd just dump over their whole lockers because they didn't pass inspections, so they had to start from scratch. And that represented a couple hours of hard labor, ironing and folding clothes. So we had some grown men in there, and he ranges from like 18, 19 years old all the way up to just under 30. And I couldn't believe what could reduce a grown man to tears. <laughs> just the rough treatment they got in boot camp, you know? And I was sort of chuckling at them, and they were a little upset at me. They were going to take me in the back and beat me up because these things didn't bother me, you know? And uh, they said, what's with you? You just don't care. I said, what do you mean I don't care? Well... Obviously, these things don't affect you. I said, well, not the same way they affect you. <laughs> they says, well, what is it with you that you can be treated so harshly and not respond? I said, well, this guy, this company commander that we have, he doesn't hold a candle to my mother. <laughs> I can remember when I was about five years old, my mom would, you know, she'd be schooling me down in something, and she didn't like my posture. So she'd say, stand up straight when I talk to you. Attention. She'd walk up to me. She said, stomach in, chest out, chin in, you know. Now, why did you do that? Say one more time, I don't know, and you're going to get smacked. Why'd you do it? For no reason. <laughs> but when I got into boot camp, I realized, you know what? I really appreciate my mom, and I love my mom, and I don't, I, I'm not critical of her. I'm just showing you that in her mind... She was preparing me for something in the future. You know, she, for her, she grew up in East Germany during the war as a four or five-year-old little girl. And uh, they had to leave East Germany in a train that was riddled with bullets as they went. Everything was taken away from her. Um, her husband died when she was 35 years old, my father. She had three kids from 11 to 14. She never remarried. She stuck with it. And because of that, I'm here today. 
I'm grateful to my mother. She's made of some stuff, tough stuff. And she, she, you know, she used to say something when I'd say, I'd say, it's not fair. And she used to always say this. I'll never forget it. She says, who says life's fair? And she could say that after having some real difficulties of her own. And so she was preparing me for life the way she saw it, <laughs> full of bump, bumps and bruises. And she did a good job in that respect. So I, I, I give thanks for my mother. I'll sp- I'm going to spend time with her tomorrow because um, she lives a little bit away from here and show my appreciation. So I hope you appreciate your mother today. And you might want to think, uh, well, what does that have to do with our message? <laughs> so let's see if we can tie it in. Um, another thing I learned about uh, mothers for, was from my kids and watching my kids' response. When my boys became a certain age, they were a little bit upset because they sort of felt smothered by mom, you know, a mother smother. <laughs> and uh, they didn't like that. They wanted to make their own decisions. They didn't want to be overseeing everything they did. And I started thinking about that. I said, wait a minute, let's talk about this. You got to realize that for the last 14, 15 years, that's been your mom's job. From day one, her job was to watch over you, make sure you're never out of her sight or never in a dangerous place, always watching you, making sure that you don't get into danger, making sure nothing, nothing dangerous gets to you. She was your protector and provider. And she was making decisions for you, what was best for you. And so that was God's appointed task for her. And she did a nice job. I mean, the fact that you're alive here today. I was just reading, um, I don't know if you remember not too long ago, two-year-old, I think it was a little girl, fell from the Golden Gate Bridge through a a nine-and-a-half-inch crack. Yeah, between the roadway and the sidewalk. You know, and, and the, the father tried to, to grab the child as it fell down, but wasn't successful. I didn't read about the mother anywhere in the article, and it made me wonder, was she there? Because I got a feeling if she was there, that child would be at her side, and she'd have one hand on the child. Because that's how mothers are. God has given them a protective instinct over their children, and, and they do, jo- they're, do their job well. I think everybody in here could say, everybody here that can say that because they're here today. Um, so that's been your mother's job. Take care of you. Make decisions for you. Good decisions. Good decisions for your good. And uh, you'll have to excuse mothers if it takes a couple of years for them to make a transition to let you make decisions for yourself. To let you go off and do things without a safe guard over you. Uh, that's a transition mothers need to make that isn't easy. It's like breaking a 16, 17, 18-year-old habit instantaneously like kids oftentimes want. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. There comes a time in the life of a child where a mother needs to let go and allow the child to make decisions. And of course, they start off with small decisions, don't they? Things that aren't really consequential in their, um, in their, in their result, the result of their decisions. And as they grow more and more, But there comes a time when all the responsibility for decision-making goes to that person. They're an adult. And of course, why is a mother like that? Why does a mother like to make decisions for their children? Well, because they want the right decision made. 
And they're making it with years of experience, life experience. And so when it comes to important decisions, a right decision is important, right? What's the most important decision a person can make in their life? Most important, one single most important decision they can make. And that has to do with not this lifetime, but eternity. Where will they spend eternity? Now, my mother, with all her good intentions, and as much as I thank her for, she didn't know the Lord. So she couldn't help me in that regard. She couldn't show me the way to eternal life. She couldn't point the way to heaven because she doesn't know the Lord. But there are those that do. There are those that do. But it's a decision a parent can't make for their child. It just can't happen. It has to be made by the individual. And so, being a parent, we hope and we pray as we release and relinquish responsibility in making decisions for our children that they'll make the right decision in the single most important decision of their life, that they'll accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that they know they have the forgiveness of sins. And, I, and you know, I, I, I imagine if you talk to my children, um, you'd find out that I'm not a perfect parent. <laughs> Matter of fact, if I talk to them, they're becoming more candid as they get older. I find out more mistakes that I made, at least through their eyes. But one thing I could always say and I'm so glad for it. And I tell other people this. You know, one thing my children have, if something happens to me, they know where to find me and how to get there. <laughs> they know how to get to heaven. They know that to get to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And they know why. Because he died on the cross for their sins. And that all they have to do is just confess their sins and agree with God and say, Lord, save me. Because there's no greater desire, and I think I can speak for every parent here, there's no greater desire in the heart of the parent than to know they're going to see their children in heaven. And what a, what a rejoicing that will be. To be with our Savior and our family there as well. And so that's a mother's heart, but we have individuals here in our story, we're going to read this, where they're well past the stage of their parents making decisions for them. Matter of fact, this is going to show the last chapter of their life. And so we're going to try to work backwards a little as we uh, go over the text. Verse 39, Luke chapter 23. And one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling, hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, in other portions of Scripture, it's not just he that is hurling this abuse at the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the other one, too. The two thieves were doing that. Okay. So we're going to find a distinction between the two. But the other answered and rebuking, and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Closing chapter. Makes you wonder what their lives were like. Two thieves, two criminals. Um, last chapter of their life. They're facing death. And it's interesting because um, Sanders' father died. He had cancer. Um, and now I, I remember when I worked at uh, GNR Warehouse, I remember coming out, going south on 880, and as I turned, 
I saw a car that was mangled up under the back end of a semi-truck. And I saw a 12-inch river of blood coming from that car. And I looked, and I didn't see any police car. I didn't see any ambulance, fire trucks, nothing. You know, for some strange reason, I sat in the parking lot reading for 15 minutes, and that wasn't like me. And when I was off, I was gone. And I was heading a different direction because I was meeting Sandra and her sisters. And so it was a divine appointment that I was there. So I pulled over my car, and I went over there. And I look at this car, and I could see hair, you know, people, but you can't see their bodies. It's sort of twisted, all mangled up. And, and so I started telling them if they could hear about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and about eternal life. Turns out that one of them died. The other one lived, I think, a short period of time, uh, and then she died. But I think she crawled out of the car herself because they had to wait for the jaws of life. They didn't have them there, so she crawled out herself. So my hope is that we'll see at least one of them, maybe both of them in heaven one day. But I, I, I thought to myself, well, first of all, I asked what happened. I think, Angela, you told me years ago. There was a two-by-four in the lane. She went to swerve this way. Her nose got underneath the back wheels of the tractor or the trailer, and it just grabbed her car and just tw twisted like, like that, just twisted the whole car and, got, and dragged it along. And I'm thinking, wow. Two girls get up in the morning, take a shower, get dressed, combing their hair in the mirror. Do you think it even entered their mind, today will be my last? Today I will die. Today I will face eternity? I don't think so. I don't think so. Now, Sanders' dad died, uh, and he had six months before he died. He was told that he had cancer. So what's the difference between the two? Some people think, well, man, I'd like to go fast. <laughs> well, you know, in some cases, it's better not to go fast because like these criminals, they have time to think. You have time to think about eternity. Time to think about, are, are you right with God? Time to remember what was shared with you about the Lord Jesus Christ dying on the cross for your sins. Time to even look into reading into it. A time to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. See, these thieves had it. Not everybody has it. And so there's a warning there. You know, God is merciful. With some, he allows that time to think. With others, they've already had it their whole life. And the end comes as a surprise, instantly. My dad died in our house. I can remember the day he died, still remember to this day. He was sick like for three days, then he was dead. I took great comfort in talking to my uncle because I, after I became a Christian, I was very interested in knowing, did he hear the gospel? Did he have an opportunity to hear the gospel? And my uncle said yes. They used to go to a Baptist church together. And so I was encouraged by that. Because you never know what happens in the closing moments of a person's life. The story is told of a sailor. Obviously not saved. He was a typical sailor. <laughs> Drinking, drunk, uh, swearing. You know, just the typical sailor that, any, that you can envision. And uh, there was a storm at sea. He got thrown overboard. Okay, so what happened? He accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how do we know? The next wave that came threw him back on board the ship. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but it's a good story. <laughs> but it, it, it proves a point. You would never know he got saved unless he got thrown back on the board, boat, and then he tells it, and then you see a changed life. The Lord can save, like my dad, I can remember, uh, seeing him on the edge of the bed that night. 
I was well past the age of kissing my dad goodnight because I was a man, you know, a little boy. <laughs> I told him I loved him. And then he died that night. But I don't know what was going through his mind and his heart. As far as I knew, he didn't know the Lord. I wasn't raised going to church. But you never know what happens in the mind of a person moments before they die. So he had a, he had a little chance to think. Um, so we have two thieves here, two. The number two is important in Scripture because it tells us about um, just two roads, two gates. We read about that in Matthew. Um, Matthew it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Two roads, two gates, two thieves, two destinies, all hinging on one decision. One decision. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, by, it's no, no coincidence that the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross with two thieves at his side. It's very illustrative of a fork in a road. The Lord Jesus stands at that fork. And if you recognize it, it's the difference between eternal life and eternal death. The scriptures talk about a wide path and a wide gate that leads to destruction. Another place in scriptures, in Luke, uh, the question was asked of the Lord Jesus Christ, are, are there only a few that are saved? And that's when in Luke he says, enter by the narrow gate. Strive to narrow by into the inner gate, uh, narrow gate. So you get the picture of this big massive crowd going through this wide gate, going down this broad road. And the small gate seems to be a little gate over here. It's easy to miss, unless you're looking. <laughs> easy to miss. You know, it's easy to get carried along with the crowd, and I think a lot of people do that. I was uh, looking on the Internet, and I found something that I never knew had a name. It's called crowd surfing. Have you ever heard of crowd surfing? <laughs> Usually see at concerts, big crowds, where somebody gets up on top. Somebody, they have their friends help lift them up, and then they just send them on their way. <laughs> And the crowd's just feeding them in some direction or the other, and it doesn't matter where they want to go because they're going to go where the hands feed them. You know? It could be dangerous. So some people get born along with the crowd. This wide gate, broad road that leads to destruction, a lot of people, they're just not paying attention to the road signs. They're just going along with the crowd. And they think, well, everybody's going that direction. It must be all right. The Bible paints a picture of danger. Because it says that broad road leads to destruction. And if you're going to enter into eternal life, you need to look through that narrow gate. That narrow gate is the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I am the door. No one comes to the Father but through me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Eternal life comes through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the disciples said, Lord, show us the way. He says, I am the way. You know me. That's good enough. He'll get you there. Which brings me to, to my, my topic. When we think of those two thieves on the cross, they say that moments before you die, um, and I've had it firsthand from people that seemed like they were about to die, your life flashes before you, like little snippets. You remember things. Uh, I wonder what meant through the mind of these thieves. <laughs> you know, uh, You start asking important questions when you think about dying, like what's the purpose of life? Why am I here? You know, new life comes into the world. It's a time of excitement. Parents are happy, especially if it's a healthy baby. The question is, why? Why? 
We find the answer in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. It says, God, who made the world and all things in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in, dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life and breath to all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. That one was Adam. Having determined their appointed times. You're here this morning in this room because God appointed you a determined time. And my determined time, which started in 1958 and ends in, who knows when, <laughs> overlaps yours. And that's all according to the will of God. I wasn't raised in the 13th century, 17th century. It wasn't my appointed time. God chose this time for you. And the boundaries of your habitation... Perhaps this local area is the boundary of your habitation. Maybe you've traveled to visit, vacation in other places. Some people come from other countries. I lived in Brazil for nine years. That's part of my boundary of habitation for nine years. That was God's will for me. And so God sets these things, our times, the boundaries of our habitation, how far we will go. Why? It says that they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. That's God's purpose for you. That's why he brought you into the world. And when we had four children, that was God. God is in the business of populating heaven. And he does it through birth of a child, raising him up, knowing the truth, siding with God against themselves and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Born again to a new life. And one day, living eternally in heaven with God forever. Perfect bliss, perfect happiness, something that Jesus describes as paradise. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'd like to go there right now. <laughs> I can't because it's not God's will, but I'm looking forward to going. And, and people at work have a hard time with that one. I tell them I'm looking forward to going. You know, don't cry for me. <laughs> cry for the people that are, you know, I leave behind. Because I really know that I'm going there because of what Jesus did. I remember when I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, I knew at that moment that I was saved and going to heaven. Absolute certainty. And there's only one thing that gave me that certainty, just one. And that was because I knew Jesus did it all. All. When I say all, I mean 100%. And I did nothing. And because he did it all, and I knew he did it all, I knew that my salvation was secure. Because he gave it to me as a free gift. And if God gives you a gift, do you think anybody can take it away from you? <laughs> I don't think so. Because <laughs> he's almighty. He's all-powerful. A gift is to be received. And I received it. And I knew that day I was going to heaven. And that's all that mattered. Nothing else mattered. Until I found out that he had some, some other things in mind for me. <laughs> Not to go to heaven right away, but stick around for a task. Two roads. Okay, so we know we're, why we're here. And we know there's two gates. A decision needs to be made. Nobody can make that decision for you. And there are people here that come regularly that I know. And I'm not pointing any one person out, but... They've had opportunities week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, to choose Jesus. 
to choose to receive him as their Lord and Savior. But they haven't. Now I ask myself, why is that? Why is that? One of the conclusions I come to is perhaps they're under a misunderstanding of what that means, of what that is. But I, I think if that's the case, there must be some doubt deep in their heart. Do I really know Jesus? Is this what it is to know Jesus? So there must be a doubt. There are other people that perhaps they think that, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I heard somebody say just the other night, yeah, I was born a Christian. My parents were Christians. My mind went to John and says, wait, it's not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor the will of flesh, but born of God. What part did you take in your first birth? <laughs> Nothing, right? It was of God. And so people don't understand, but I think some people avoid the question. They put it off. And there's a danger there. The danger is God's not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that what he will reap. So if God knows you're putting it off, he might not give you the day or the time to think about it and consider it. My brother was like that. He still is like that. Uh, he figures, well, you know, we were in Brazil. It was interesting. We were in Brazil. And my brother's a non-believer. And he seems to think that Jesus can't be the only way. That's just your way. No, that's God's way. But it's interesting, and it's a testimony to the opportunities the Lord's given me to witness to him. When we were in Brazil, you remember the Gulf War when it broke out? Well, we were in Brazil, and a lot of people thought that was the end, right? This must be what the Bible's talking about. He called me up. He says, listen, if you disappear in that rapture thing, I'm going to come get your kids, okay? <laughs> An unbeliever? There was something he was believing, <laughs> you know? Um, very interesting, very interesting. Um, the thieves on the cross. Let's think about them. What change took place? What change took place in their life? Both thieves, right? Do you know anybody? I mean, we know them as thieves on the cross. Here in my version, it says criminals. I don't know what it says in your version. Can somebody tell me? Let's call them criminals or thieves? Criminals? Okay, because typically they're known as thieves. Now, criminals are pretty broad, but I don't know any thieves that are put to death for stealing these days. Do you? Um, I would wager to say that at the beginning, when both of them were hurling abuse at the Lord Jesus Christ, they most likely thought, wow, punishment doesn't really meet the crime here. We're getting put to death. Do we really deserve to die? You know, how many people really believe they deserve to die? I meet, I've met murderers that don't believe they deserve to die. So I'm sure a thief wouldn't believe it. And this death that they died was pretty... Gruesome, pretty gruesome. So they, I, I'm sure they went into it thinking, well, they really didn't deserve it. There was a change of heart in this one, wasn't there? And the first change we recognize, he says, wait a minute. For what, don't you fear God? Obviously, he doesn't fear man. He's cursing to the day of his death. Even facing death, he's cursing man. The question is, does he fear God? Does he fear God? You know, that's an unpopular subject today, fearing God. That's a healthy thing to do, you know, a healthy respect and fear of God. That doesn't mean God isn't love, but it does mean God's holy and just, and he won't just sweep sin under the carpet. Don't you fear God? We're under the sentence of death, and rightly so. But he's done nothing wrong. <laughs> what a change. He went from cursing, from mocking, to realizing, wait a minute, I'm getting what I deserve. 
I'm getting what I deserve. So whose standard was he going by? It wasn't his own standard. When I was faced with the question, do you think you deserve to go to hell? I said, yeah. <laughs> whose standard was I using? God's standard. If God's the perfect judge, the righteous one, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that cannot lie, the one who can't make a mistake, he says, Eric, this is what you deserve. Who am I to argue with God? Who am I to say, no, I don't think so? And yet people do that every day. I would wager to say there's some people in this room that believe they don't deserve to die. They don't deserve eternal punishment, hell for their sins. But this is what God says. It's not my standard, it's God's. And God doesn't say it so to make us miserable. He says it to convince us of the truth so that we'll escape the judgment to come. So this one, this thief, he came to believe and agree with his sentence of condemnation. And yet, I sort of feel like I have something in common with this thief. Because when I answer that question, do you believe you deserve to go to hell? Yeah. I think, I thought, yeah, but there's some, there's got to be some good news in there somewhere. <laughs> you know, I went to a Bible study to find out what the Bible had to say, and the Bible's pretty popular. A lot of people read their Bibles. A lot of people go to church. And I'm thinking, well, if all the Bible does is condemn us to hell and then leave us hanging there, that didn't make sense to me. And I'm thinking this thief had the same idea. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, he, he realized, I'm guilty. I deserve what I'm getting. But wait a minute, there's still hope at this late stage of the game. There's hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. He fixed his eyes on Jesus and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He must have heard the word of God. How did he know he had a kingdom to come? <laughs> and he must, have knew something, he must have known something about the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. That even though I was just cursing him, even though I was just mocking him, if I repent, he'll receive me. <laughs> if he didn't believe that, he wouldn't have made the request. Lord, remember me. See, that's what it takes. Repentance. Just agree with God. Be sorrowful over your sin and realize that it's something that Jesus died for. And that he's waiting Ready to forgive. Why would somebody not come to the Lord Jesus Christ? He's waiting with open arms. He promises to re reject none that come to him. And yet there's people that don't come. That boggles my mind. And the only reason I can think of is the Bible says that the unsaved are blinded by the enemy, by Satan. And I ask myself, how does that happen? Well, preconceived wrong ideas of God. Oh, he just wants to take your fun away. He just wants to make you do things you don't want to do. He's going to make you live a life you don't really have the strength to live. All those are lies, you know that? <laughs> Look around the Christians you know. And I, you know, I shouldn't really, I, I want to be careful when I say that because I don't know all the Christians that you know. But I would say, wager to say the Christians you know that are walking close with the Lord, look at their lives and ask, ask yourself, do they look unhappy? Do they look miserable? When I look at Christians that walk close with God, I see a deep-seated joy that I don't see in people that don't know God. And if God's a killjoy, well, how's that work? <laughs> He's not. He just gives you new desires, and then he makes you happy with them. Two thieves, two gates, two roads. That's for everyone. 
Everyone in this room, room comes to that junction in the road. A decision. And you'd be surprised how oftentimes you come to that. There are people here that I've seen before that I'm pretty sure they don't know the Lord. And they've heard the gospel before. That means, whether they realized it or not, there was a fork in the road. They made a decision. Or they didn't make a decision and they were crowd surfing. Born along by the crowd, putting that decision off, thinking, well, I'll take that road down the way. Counting that it's going to be there. My brother said, uh, when I shared the gospel to him a number of times, and remember when he, during the Gulf War, when he said, well, I'll come get your kids, and I, that's when I took another opportunity to tell him about the Lord. He says, well, when all this really comes, comes down, that's when I'll, I'll do what you say. See, he's waiting for some kind of sign or something. I don't think so. I think he was just putting it off so he can run his own life until that day. And I, and I, want, to, um, I want to end with this the danger of putting it off. See, I know people, my brother's one of them, that has put that decision off. And I know how people that have died that fast, unexpectedly. And that's what brings me to think about, wow, what a bad decision to put it off. It says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 14, and then the lawless one, which is Satan, or in this case, the Antichrist, in, uh, indwelt by Satan, will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. Let me read that again. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. The person that puts it off, I don't, re I don't think they realize the danger that they enter into because what they're doing is they're mocking God. They're saying, tomorrow. And God's saying, you don't know what tomorrow holds, but I'll give you a picture. The evil one, the Antichrist, will arrive on the scene. And that's what my brother says. When all that happens, that's when I'll believe. No, you won't. It says right here, not only will Satan be a deceiver and a powerful deceiver, it says that God will send a deluding spirit. So you'll believe the lie. And it will be a just penalty, a just judgment for those that have put him off. People don't realize what an offense that must be to God when he sent his son to die on the cross for us in need of salvation. And he says, here, I emptied heaven to save your soul. There's no way you could have done it. No way you take part in it. I did it all. And here, I want to give this to you as a gift. You just have to reach out and accept it. And I'll think about it later. Think of the offense that is to God. So much so that we have this verse that says, In that day, they will believe a lie. Because God himself will send a deluding spirit. Because they didn't receive the truth, the love of the truth but took pleasure. It says wickedness. What they did, they took pleasure 
in satisfying their own desires, running their own lives, doing their own thing. And that will be the penalty, the punishment for putting God off. That's scary. That's scary. That's why the scripture says today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. God never promises tomorrow. But the today, still an option for you. You put him off and you run this risk. And I just want to make that clear. Out of love for you and your soul. Because God loves you. And that's why he gave us his word. That's why we have two thieves at his side. To represent two decisions, two lives, two destinies. And the Lord says, I lay before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Then he says, so choose life, but the choice is yours. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much that the message is so clear from your word. And Lord, we pray that it's been made clear this morning. And that you'd not allow the evil one to take the seeds that have been sown and destroy them. Lord, but the word of God might work in the hearts of the hearers so that if any are here this morning that don't know you, that they might receive you, Lord Jesus Christ, and the gift you offer, eternal life. For we ask it in your name. Amen.